Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of Whiskey Neat, Spirited Conversations with Interesting People. I am your host, Christopher Hart, and and before this episode starts, I'm going to need a drink because... Uh, sorry, I know you, I know people hate that sound. Um, today's interesting, so I wanted to sit down and talk to... Um, the ex- I wanted to talk to someone from TABC, and I thought, why don't I just find the, the guy at the top and see if he'll come sit down. And he did. Extremely nice guy. General Bentley Nettles with the Texas Alcohol Beverage Commission. He's the executive director of the organization and took over in 2017 after the last executive director was ousted over controversy. Sherry Cook was, uh, she resigned in 2017 after she was taking accused, allegedly, I don't know if it's official or what, so I don't want to get sued, but let's just say allegedly she was um, being held responsible for a bunch of people within the organization who were taking vacations on the company tax dollar, like going to a conference in Hawaii and blah, 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 blah. So long story short, even if I got all that information wrong, it doesn't matter. The point is, is that he took over to help clean up the image of the organization and kind of change the tone of what the TABC is. TABC is not supposed to, first of all, before we get started, I I did ask a bunch of people to, you know, I'm going to be sitting down with this guy. What do you want me to ask him? Well, People were like, blue laws, uh, you know, why can't I buy booze on Sunday, whatever. The point is, when I sent those messages to the PR folks over at, uh, or the media folks over at the TBC, they basically said, look, we're, we're not the regulatory body. We don't come up with the rules. We don't come up with the laws. We simply um, uh, enforce them. Right, so they're an enforcement agency. They're they're, they're a police organization. So uh, today I sit down, and, and in that process of communicating with their media folks, we we trying to figure out, you know, what all are you focusing on? What's the what's the whole point? And I actually learned something very interesting about them. They have, and I'll save it for the podcast. No spoilers, but they have decided to focus on something very. Uh, crazy important that's been happening in Houston and in Texas for quite some time involving, um, we'll just say involving minors for now, but they, they've been taking an active stance against it and it's a new focus for them and I applaud them for it. So this week's show is as always sponsored by Trilado Distel Artisan Spirits, leader in premium artisan products like Bunahaben, Deanston, Lecheg, Tobermory, Baines, Black Bottle, and Scottish Leader. You can pick up the entire line at your local liquor store or if you are a retailer, reach out to your local United Wine and Spirits rep. Sponsored, sponsor. Also, we were testing something out for a few weeks and we tested it. It was a success. You can now go to www.whiskeymerch.com. How was that URL not already taken? Whiskeymerch.com. We've got our new shirts. They will, uh, instead of me having to pack them up every single time and mail them out to you guys, sometimes taking way too long to do so. And for that, I apologize. Uh, uh, whiskeymerch.com actually has a full setup we've outsourced to them they will send you the shirts the cups the mugs uh, and of course we've got our actual design here this is uh this is jack our producer this is a kids medium and uh he yeah so they'll mail it to you directly and our shirts are up online as we speak so that's www.whiskeymerch.com and i think that pretty much covers that uh all of our introduction yeah, I think that was it. So, yeah, so today we just sit down with General Nettles. I was going to have the chairman in, but he couldn't make it. And our conversation is just simply about what the TABC does. I kind of pushed on him a little bit saying, I know you're the, the just the arm, uh, but I'm sure someone's listening to your input and there's some things that we should change. Uh, so, yeah, if you'd like to provide feedback to the TABC, you can do so at their website. Um, TBC, and you can also, if you want something changed, like these stupid, let, let's talk about the archaic blue laws for a second, because I talked about this online and no one quite grasped me. So it sometimes I come across better via camera. It is absolutely stupid. You can't be open on a Sunday for booze. Well, Chris, um, that's you know for the consumer, but the liquor stores, uh, they don't want to be open on Sunday. Okay, then don't be open on Sunday. No one's telling you you have to be open on Sunday. 
But it is dumb that as a business owner, you don't even have the choice or the option. And also, you don't know what you're talking about. The the idea that, oh, I can't be open up on Sunday because if I'm open up on Sunday, I'm going to lose money and I have to pay to staff it. So, I'm going to be taking a hit. That's where are you getting that from? Others, th- that is not, there's, it's never been legal to be open on Sunday in, in Texas, right? How would you know you're not going to sell or be a popular day, especially during football season? People make and I mentioned this during the podcast, people make surprise runs to liquor stores. If I, I can't tell you how many times I've loved a pina colada on a Sunday. And if I didn't have a bottle of rum, and sometimes I don't, believe it or not, or at least one I want to use in a mix, and I, I can't go to a liquor. It's stupid. My point is it's stupid. As, a, as an owner of a liquor store, you should have the right to be open or not be open. And if you tell me, well, if we're not open, then we run the risk of losing the money to specs. Okay, then that means you're going to sell. So you can't have it both ways. You can't say that you're not going to sell product on Sunday and then say, if we're not open, specs will get the business or whatever big store will get the business. It didn't work that way. There was no reason for you to think that it wouldn't be profitable to be open on Sunday at least profitable enough to hire somebody. But even if you're right, then just don't be open on Sunday. The fact that we have a law that was created around religion, as in can't be open on the Lord's Day, that's nonsense. That's stupid. And I was hoping to give him a hard time about it and tell him, uh, get rid of this. But again, they're the arm, not the regulating body. So um, if you want to change that, Reach out to your local representatives, find out who your senators are, go to the state website, send them an email telling them it's nonsense and do that. Tell them it's nonsense because it's nonsense. And yeah, without further ado, General Nettles. Cheers. Thanks so much for coming on the show, General Nettles. Sure. Thank you for having me. Is it General Nettles, General Bentley Nettles? What would be the... It's all good. Either one. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, uh, it, it's a, uh, you know, <laughs> a lot of people were super nervous about this, this meeting. Friends that I know in the industry and I work with uh, a lot of uh, all, all tiers, you know, and, and just kind of communicate and, and work on building a nice, like great bourbon community here in Houston. Great. I said bourbon, but more like spirits community. And, uh, People were so nervous about this that they actually were like, don't, please don't mention my bar. Please don't mention my liquor <laughs> store. And I was like, uh, okay, I don't think it's going to, I don't, I don't think he's coming. He, I don't think the executive director of the TABC is coming here just to get like who to get next, you know? Right. So, um, I, I've got lots of questions and, and more, I guess we could start off with, let's start off with something simple as, as simply, you guys are not the the creator of the rules. You are the enforcers. You're the 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 what would be the word? The I hate to say the executioner, not the judge, but um, but but yeah. You, so w- what is it about the TABC that you guys are, are are really heavily focused on? So so we we try to work with businesses. Um, the policy is given to us by those hardworking legislators uh, who are up there right now. And uh, once we get the policy, then we do sometimes create rules to help industry understand left and right limits. But we do that through an open rulemaking process, and we invite industry members, stakeholders, to come and participate in that. So it's important if they get an email from us about a rule that's going to impact them, that they weigh in. I, I know a little bit about bureaucracies. I don't know anything about running a bar, a restaurant, or a distillery. And I tell people that all the time. We need their help. This is collaborative effort. Okay. And that's interesting you say that because it was, I didn't know that you guys uh, were that um, open for input from industry folks. Absolutely. So, so, and you just said something right now, you, you said you guys actually do make some rules or is it more like clarifying rules? It's typically clarifying rules. Sure. If we have a new law, uh, for example, um, we're going through the sunset process. Part of the- And for those who don't. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. So the sunset and I support it. It's it's a look at a state agency every 12 years to determine whether or not that agency should continue to exist or should it be collapsed with other state agencies. So they've made the recommendation that we should exist, which I'm happy about. So you just went through the review process and it was right. deemed you guys are important. We, we're important. Now they, they've come up with some recommendations to change our statute, change the way we do business. 
that is in a bill process. The House has already voted on their portion. It's now over at the Senate Business and Commerce Committee. And so they will start that process. Hopefully, we'll get it voted out before the end of session, which is uh, pretty quick. <laughs> so, so what are some of the suggestions that might affect uh, both industry and, and consumer? What are some of the changes you guys are looking at? So industry, uh, what, what Sunset staff recommended and the commission voted on was to collapse the number of permits we have. Currently, we have 76-odd permits. They're going to collapse that to 35. <clears throat> so if you're an industry member, that's going to be when you come up for renewal – that might be different if you come up for a renewal a year from now because we're going to have to figure out, okay, how do we stack those? So it's not getting rid of the permits, but more or less combining them. So so no one's going to lose the ability to do anything. It's more like just less. It's kind of like moving from two stickers on your car registration to one. And that was the intent. And I think that helps businesses because and a lot of it has to do with caterers or bar service, mobile bar service. So should you really have to have three, four different types of permits from my agency to do something that I already know you're going to do. So it's the idea is how do we get it to one and we give them those parameters. This is what you can do underneath this permit. Be more effective. Yes. Gotcha. So going back to, to input from the industry, who, how, how does that process work? Who are you talking to? Is it just things like the TPSA or, or there other is it open to anyone to provide feedback? If I'm a bar owner and I want to tell you why I th don't think this is going to work or why we, why this is archaic. Um, Absolutely. I would say you can always email me, uh, bentley.nettles at tabc.texas.gov. Uh, but when I came on board um, a little over 18, 19 months ago, uh, what I first thing I did was set up roundtables across the state and asked industry and legislators to come and ask the legislators, invite the people that are your constituents that said they've had problems with this agency. I want to know what they are. We can't fix it if we don't know what's broken. So we started that process. We now have uh, on our website, which we're, I hate, everybody in the industry hates. I got it. We're trying to fix it. Uh, but you can go on and click on a button to allow you get, we have a constant contact newsletter that goes out to all industry, tells you what we're doing. We try to do that on a quarterly basis and also has where you can email to our representative. We created an external affairs uh, director, Jared Staples. He's in constant contact with industry members across the state. They've helped us as we're in legislative session because as a state agency, we don't advocate for policy. If they ask us, we'll say, okay, there's going to be a fiscal note associated with that. It's going to cost us this much money. Or here's the challenges we see with regulating that. But really, policy is something that should be between the legislators and industry members. Right. So let, let me push back on you a little bit with that. So if you're if you're allowing these forms to be open by going to the website, providing feedback or complaints that we have with the industry, I would imagine that you guys probably receive a lot of complaints that you guys can't help with. Meaning, let's let's talk about blue laws, right? So not being open on Sunday for liquor stores, that's not sure. something that you guys, Absolutely. you're not responsible for it at all. Yeah. You're be sure. better to contact your local representative or local state senator because they can impact that. Sure. And we can't do anything at all about it, unfortunately. It's just not within our jurisdiction. Okay. So uh, let me ask you this. I would imagine, and, and I could be wrong here, I would imagine that the representatives probably at least consult the TABC for input on proposed regulations or no? They do. They do on policy changes. Uh, right now, they have several up in the state uh, house. Um, we normally don't comment on ongoing legislation, but I know that sure. for distilleries, there are some particular ones that they've been uh, working on. I, I've talked to the Texas uh, Distillers Association. I know they're trying to give the sample bills so they go out to a bar and build their market by carrying samples and have people taste it. Currently, they can't do that unless there's already an account there. Right. I think that's a good move, but or distributed that's a policy them, yeah. decision. Yeah. So they really need to get the legislators to to help with that. Do you, and feel free to, I'll, if not, what I'll do is I'll look it up and we'll add it after, but who, who would be, where, so just find out who your rep is, rep is for your area and just send a random complaint about the fact that I can't buy beer at 10 a.m. or, well, that's being proposed, but. So if you, um, I think if you go to the Texas legislature website, 
you can put in your zip code and they'll tell you who your right, rep right. is. Uh, and I would simply start by talking to the local uh, staff uh, because they're going to talk to their representatives. Sure. The representatives rely upon their staff. I mean, you think about it. This is a job they do 140 days every two years. They don't get paid a lot of money to do it. It's a huge sacrifice. They're certainly serving us, but they need our input. So, so coming back to when you you came on board, you came on board in I think it was was it August 2017? Yes. And let's talk about that for a little bit. What you the way if I if you Google General Bentley Nettles, the very first article says uh, a, a lawyer with a lengthy military background has been tapped to clean up the embattled Texas Alcohol Beverage Commission, which has been dogged by controversies and high level departures in recent months. Your um, coming on board uh clean house to 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 just kind of change the the i guess would it be the not the pr but but to to make people realize that you guys aren't just this an evil empire so uh kevin lully the chairman of the commission he's from here in houston sure he and the commission hired me uh and they gave me very specific directions about let's go find out what industry is let's build a better relationship with industry because industry literally funds this agency. Sure. Um, I think in a biennium, there's $650 million generated by the alcohol beverage industry in Texas. Uh, 100 by statute, uh, General Appropriations Act 7. Uh, we're supposed to be funded by the fine fees and surcharges, which means all the excise tax, $450 million, goes directly to the state revenue. And the agency doesn't get any of it because we're a general revenue fund. Those fine fees and surcharges go to general revenue and have to be appropriated back to us by the state rep- state legislature. So um, it, it's an interesting dynamic. Um, what I found out was, and, and yeah, I don't want to criticize the folks that were there before because I did, I've never met with them. I don't really know them. Sure. Uh, but we've taken a very proactive stance with industry because what I find is most industry members simply want to abide by the rules and it's fairly complicated um, code that was started in 1935 and every couple of years gets added on to. So the challenge is if I'm a business person trying to make money, how do I comply with the rules so I don't get in trouble and yet still make money? Uh, so we've done a number of things. One, we initiated the warning system. So if we have an auditor enforcement comes out to see you and there's some violation that does not not involve public safety, then we're not going to give you a fine. We're simply going to give you guidance so you can correct it. And then we're going to come back and visit you and make sure you not continue to repeat it. Um, so uh, let, let's talk about that. For, uh, for instance, the if you remember, I want to say this might have been before you took over. So if it is, you know, if you if you even recall it, but there was a um, whiskey cake uh, a couple of years ago. There was a report that came out about a slew of bars and restaurants here in the state who were uh, faced with fines for refilling empty bottles. Now, in in all practicality, uh, what was really happening, and unfortunately, whiskey cake was a new a new business in the in the state. What they were doing is they were filling it with, you know. Uh, they, they recycle everything. So they were filling them with like uh, water to pour at tables or, um, you know, they were mixing uh, like uh, mixers, like uh, non-alcoholic beverages were, or decorative, right? So, hmm. but they were still being fined for that. So I guess what I'm, I'm getting at is, is there, the warning system I think is great. I think it's, it speaks to the spirit of the law and the, obviously it's very complicated uh, legis- uh, uh, rules to kind of grasp sometimes. I can't tell you how many times. I, I, I know I've had discussions with people where we've had to, even if you just read something, you had to go back and double check to see what it said because it didn't quite click the first time. Uh, but the amount of PR damage that gets done to to a mom and pop restaurant or even a chain by those reports getting put out, you know what I mean? Like, what's the what's the? Is there no consideration for the for the clear? Uh, violation versus, like you said, there are some people who are very pro just by the letter of the law. Others are by the spirit of the law. Is there a um, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a um, initiative for uh, for progress in that sense, meaning like you know, decriminalizing marijuana is obviously to move past this 
this stereotype or whatever, or not stereotype. What's the word? What's the word I'm looking for? Stigma. That's the word stigma. So when you put out a report or when you find a place of business, that's just using an empty container for, for water for that case. You get what I'm saying? Sure. And, and they're being fine because the, the whole idea of the TBC obviously is to protect the consumer. Right. And we don't want a bar or restaurant putting cheaper alcohol or tainting what's, you know, preserving what they're actually serving. But if it's just water or if it's just, and it's clearly not being marketed as anything other than um, a container, is, is there no consideration for that sort of thing? Is there an appeals process that you could? So I don't, re- so that event that you're talking about occurred before sure. I got there. So I'm not as familiar with that section of the code. I do know that you're not supposed to put anything else into alcohol, but you're supposed to throw them away. Sure. And the reason for that is because protect the consumers, make sure they're not taking, and, and you know, some people can. Watering d- down alcohol or whatever. Well, sure. watering it down or maybe uh, taking a, uh, much cheaper alcohol and pouring it into that and then selling it to you at the higher price. Sure. Some people can tell that. Some people can't. Um, or worse, and and I was talking to uh, Lieutenant Governor Patrick. He talked about his days here when he owned a sports bar in Houston. And uh, he said TBC came in and helped him because his bartenders at that time were taking alcohol, refilling it, and selling it out the back door. And he had no idea even though he looked at the books every day. So those are the kind of things we try to avoid. And so if you don't put anything else in that alcohol bottle, then there's a lot less risk of those other nefarious things being done. So I would say if if someone has a question about that, I mean, we have a great regional management team here in Houston and a regional office call and ask, you know, no one's going to come show up just because you may ask a question, you know, and that way, you know, uh, We'll try to give you those left and right limits. Right. And I'll make this clarification because I kind of rambled for a minute. What I, what I was getting at specifically is a warning system definitely seek, uh, signifies progress in working together. Right. Right. Obviously, you guys take some consideration into the fact that sometimes people do things by accident. But if that warning system leads to, um, you know, still a, a bad PR or like stories getting out that a bar is doing something. So even if they're not getting fined by the regulatory body, they're, they're facing a, a huge amount of public backlash because then they have to clarify to every single, and which is impossible to do, right? Right. To, to, to everyone who might read that article and, and all of a sudden think that this place of business is just refilling cheap booze. But in reality, they were just in, you know, putting water in it or something and, and not realizing it was a mistake. Do you get what I'm saying? Is there, sure. is there, a, is there a, a room for growth in that in that area where when something like that happens it can be addressed to you guys or appealed in a way or maybe just don't put you know i don't know how those stories get out to begin with but yeah i'm not sure how they would either if we because if we give a market warning uh i I don't know that that is recorded anywhere other than in our internal documents because what it will mean is we're going to come back out within six months and just make sure you're not continuing to do it sure um but I don't think it's going to show up on the public inquiry form anywhere, uh, which is one of the tools that we have on our website that gets used probably the most. People look up each other. They look up where bars are. Sure. Yeah, we have an app that you can download to figure out where the bars are in your area. Right. So When I when I kind of reached out to you guys, and uh, I believe it was Chris Louder. Chris Porter. 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 Yeah. <laughs> reached back out to me and kind of mentioned what you guys could talk about and uh, what we wanted to, to pull from this. He mentioned something that I had no idea TBC had a part of and has been actively fighting for quite some time, and that's sex trafficking. Yes. When did when did this become y'all's y'all's thing? Was this was this part of the changing the image of the, or is it more let's let's help stop this problem with other agents? Like, what's the story there? So, in 2013, uh, we were funded by the legislature to create a special investigative unit, which is we have uh, 18 employees who are peace officers. They do the longer-term investigations. So, when the chairman came on board, he's from Houston, and uh, the governor came out and said, we want to end human trafficking in Texas. The chairman said, why can't we eradicate that in our licensed premises? You know, and 95% of our licensed premises are great. Hardworking people, but about 5% are out there. They don't want to follow the rules. They don't want to follow the laws. And they run every kind of criminal activity out of it, almost like the saloon days. And Harris County, I think 
is Harris County or in the path of the hurricane was 13,500 licensed premises. So it's a big chunk of the overall state uh, is right here in this area. So one of the things we've been doing is focusing on human trafficking. The first thing I did was how can we impact that? Because with 18 employees, we can move some more resources over there, but not a lot because we're pretty stretched across the state. Each law enforcement officer in the state has approximately 330 locations they're responsible for. So if you do the math very quickly, you realize there's no way they can cover that many in a year, sometimes not two years. So what these folks do is if they go into some place and there's, uh, they see evidence of prostitution, evidence of drugs, evidence of subterfuge, organized crime, then they call in SIU. SIU, they come in and do undercover operations. And when we normally can't cancel a bar for drugs, it's because we've made three buys on location. And it's not just a bartender or a waitress selling a joint. It's an enterprise. It's part of their business model. Sure. So. So, and from what I understand, you guys actually just recently shut a place down. Uh, are there any places in Houston that, that, that has been announced yet? or <clears throat> So, one of the big challenges we have in Texas on human trafficking in particular, and we've been working with the Attorney General, top law enforcement officer, is we have to have a, a victim outcry. Without a victim outcry, um, we can't do anything. Yeah, it's an Easter egg, huh? Yeah. To give you an example, in Austin, we shut down three bars, part of the surveillance we identified girls being taken from a residence to each of the three bars. So we got a subpoena. We worked with a task force to go in there. We were able to get 19 of the girls to go to the rescue center at 2 o'clock in the morning, went in and shut down the other three bars. Before we could even interview them, they, they weren't being prosecuted. Uh, a lawyer shows up, tells them not to talk to us, and they all leave. And so without one of them saying, yeah, I was coerced, I was trafficked, I was forced, uh, all the statutory requirements, we, we aren't able to bring a human trafficking case. So unfortunately, human trafficking cases in Texas right now are very difficult to bring. They're making some changes. Legislature right now, we, we hope will improve that. Uh, and we're, we're looking at rules for us because if you have an accusation of human trafficking, uh, right now, we treat it like a, a minor offense. What I want to do is if there's an accusation of trafficking, let's cancel your permit. Yeah. Right. So it, you guys are specifically trying to fight that within all, I would imagine, strip clubs, bars, restaurants. But I would imagine there's not a lot of that happening at like a, a restaurant or a, an Applebee's or something. No. no. <laughs> uh, and, and there, uh, some of them are these uh, cantinas, uh, but a lot of them, are, quite frankly, are not permitted locations. Yeah. So are you able the, to fight that or no? If there's if they're a like a sexually oriented business that doesn't have a permit with us, we have no jurisdiction. If if they are if they instead have a permit with us and we can get evidence, then we can cancel their permit. Sure. So so it, and I was going to ask this as well. I wanted to specifically ask y'all's jurisdiction only would would rely on anything in regards to any kind of alcohol consumption or otherwise is only with licensed premises. That's our focus. Yeah, sure. we don't we don't really regulate the public. Sure, we regulate the industry. Right. Leave that to the regular, like a party at someone's house or something. I would imagine. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. Is there a place for people to report a place of business that we can make a recommendation to? Yes. So we've actually had uh, reports into the agency go up by seventy percent. So you can go online. You can report it. You can report it through the app. We also work with the Houston Trafficking Resource. Um, I want to say Hatra. Association here with HPD, you can report it through them, um, and we will work with them. If it's a licensed location, we want to know about it. Sure, sure, so. sure. Uh, and if it's non-licensed, someone sees this, they want to report something. You guys would direct them where they need to go. Or? Absolutely. Okay. And you can do it to uh, nonprofits. I think the Polaris uh, organization, RDHS Blue campaign. Sure. All those are are ways to report it. Um, okay. So so. Uh, going back to, to you coming on board, uh, the old, um, I, w I won't say the old rain, but the old, um, what's the word? I, I, don't, I don't know. I can't think that all the pistons aren't firing. Um, the old <laughs> administration. Uh, administration. That's the word. <laughs> you good at what you do. Um, there was a kind of a, a house cleaning done because of some controversies over the whole 
uh, I guess, traveling on suppliers' dimes or, or taxpayer money as well. Uh, and your your job was to come in and just just clean everything up and change the the whole thing. Um, are you able to? I know you said you don't like to comment on on current regulation, but are you able to talk about the the specs thing that's going on? I know that's made a lot of media press over the past couple of years with you guys kind of putting some pressure on them and then them suing you guys back. Is, is there? Do we have an update on that, or is that kind of is that out there? So I. That case has been resolved. Um, Specs has filed a federal lawsuit to try to recover their attorney's fees. Uh, I'm not sure where that's going to go. Sure. I've met with John Reidman at Specs. Uh, I grew up in Houston, and my mom used to stop by the Specs Deli. So uh, I told her, I said, I'm a hometown boy. So I don't have an issue with Specs, but they have to follow the rules just like everybody else. Sure. So we're trying to repair that relationship just like we would with anybody else. So, okay. Um, yeah, I, I know it's weird because they're, they're this kind of, um, they got in kind of early, uh, and, and as alcohol has grown, they've obviously just exploded to being this 800 pound gorilla and they're still, as far as I know, they're still privately owned, right? So they're still, they're still, it's a lot of power for a, for a, a privately owned business to have. So I can, I can understand that. So I think the specs was going on, um, and they had just made that decision. When I came on board, uh, and so we uh, affirmed it, which we do as a state regulatory agency. Uh, but beyond that, we haven't done anything else with it. Uh, explain for the the uneducated affirming it. So the SOA judge uh, tries the case, and he hears it, makes his decision, submits it to us in writing. We can either say we agree or don't agree. Um, in this case, we agreed with him. There were some minor things that we did not agree, mostly technicalities because we didn't want a precedent set, but we supported his decision overall. And what happens if you don't support a decision? Well, that would be like the Cormark case. Um, we flipped that and said, we don't agree. We we think that so a judge interpreted it wrong. We don't think the state legislature intended for a $40 billion industry to be disrupted like this because if we followed his interpretation, we would have a problem issuing permits in the future. Going back to to blue laws, when are we going to fix this? <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I would imagine. I know that you know. I know. I know that you guys are just this. This you know. But you provide input, and and we'd love for. I, I think personally, I think whether or not it makes sense to be open on Sunday, I think I think they should have at least the option to, um, and. So currently, you can buy beer and wine afternoon on Sunday. Sure, sure. but the spirits uh, package stores are not open on Sunday. We talked to the package stores; they're like, "Why should we be open Sunday? It's just going to cost us more." So really, that's a policy decision for us. The only issue is now, if you have package stores open, I've got to have some agents working on Sunday. Sure, and a lot of times they don't. Right. Uh, so that's that's kind of what I was kind of getting at. I think it's become pretty clear just talking to you that you guys obviously provide a lot of input to the industry when rules come up and change, even though you guys aren't the official rule makers. Um, I, I get it. I know a lot of liquor stores who are under the belief that it would be a loss, right? <clears throat> uh, but I, I think they should have the choice. Some don't necessarily think it's going to be a loss. Some think it might, you know, that it might be a great win for them. I can't, especially during football season. Look, I know we sell a ton of beer in the, in the, in the market, but uh, I, I know a lot of consumers who make surprise stops, right? You, uh, especially if you're hunting, if you're a collector, you're looking for rare stuff, you drive through a small town. If I'm on a trip to Kentucky or, you know, or if I'm on a trip to North Texas, since it's sure. keep it within the state, uh, and I want to see what this whole, this whole hole in the wall store might be storing that might be special, I can't go in there, right? So I just, I, I'm curious if, if you, I know, as you expand into other things like the sex trafficking or or providing input on rules, if you guys are ever going to push for any kind of major major change, uh, that that you know, I mean, I know having agents work on Sunday sounds horrible, but uh, so the major change we've been pushing for is to add uh, sixty five agents uh, because right now uh, I have approximately two hundred and twenty peace officers that work in my organization. So we have dropped every year since 2008 to almost a 35% decrease. The 65 agents would take us back to 2008. Industry at the same time has been growing by 40% the same time period. Uh, 
I'm sorry, you're saying that you guys have, have downsized or just have lost agents and never restaffed them? Lost agents and never restaffed them. So over yeah. the, you guys have been on a downward de- decline of agents and we've continued to grow. So you guys are obviously a bit maxed out staffing wise. Now, the, is the budget there to have those agents replaced? So the industry is generating a lot of resources for the general revenue fund. So yes. And that's what we talked to. That's part of our talking to industry is what do they want? Because right now, give you an example. You know, we, if you want to get in the bar business or you want to open a distillery, you file a permit with my office, one of them. And currently it takes 45 days for us to put you in business. It's a entirely paper process. There's nothing entirely paper anymore in 2019. So one of our requests to the legislature is to fund us a new software program so that people can upload it into the system and we can start that process immediately and hopefully get it done quicker. Puts them in business quicker, gets them paying salaries, taxes, all those good things. It's better for everybody. Right. Yeah, let's talk about about the the what you guys are trying to streamline and fix. Because I, I have a, a buddy who opened a bar in, in Clear Lake. It said it took him, uh, God, like eight months to get up and going just with, with the city and the, and the permits. And even just trying to, you know, there's a couple of local distilleries here who said that when they even just proposed the idea of opening a distillery, few years back, Houston didn't know what to do with it, right? So right. Um, what's what what all are you trying to fix? Are you, so increase staffing as well as a software program so that these things are a little bit more streamlined? So let's talk about distilleries first. So in the last nine years, the number of distilleries we have in the state of Texas have, has increased by a thousand percent. Now that's incredible, incredibly exciting time to be in this industry. We have 154 right now. Uh, I think there are I saw some statistics, don't quote me for sure, but some 7 to 11 that are inside the city limits of Houston, which are incredible. But, of course, distilleries have a lot of alcohol, and so fire departments and fire codes sometimes don't like it all being stored together. Sure. So there's some challenges we get into with the cities that have nothing to do with us. So if a distillery, if you want to open a distillery tomorrow, you have to go get the federal um, permit. Once you get the federal permit, you apply to us. You present us the paperwork, says the city has okayed it, certified that you can open where you want to be, and then we issue the permit. It's not a difficult process on our end, but sometimes getting the other local authorities involved and getting them to give you the paperwork you need can be a bit of a challenge. Let's talk about this, because uh, I just kind of heard the story, I think it was yesterday, the Texas bartender charged for serving the gunman of a mass shooting. Do you know anything about that story? So, that's the public house? Yeah, serving in an an intoxicated or an insane person. So the way I understand it, she faces a year in jail because he was insane. I think because he was intoxicated. Sure. And again, I, I don't know that although we were involved in the initial investigation, um, I don't believe we were involved in charging her. That would have been done by the local DA. Uh, so what we typically do is turn over the evidence to them and they decide whether or not to take the case. Clearly, in Texas, if you serve an intoxicated person, uh, then you're subject to a misdemeanor charge as the bartender. Sure. The other part of that is if you have a seller-server permit or certificate, then you're subject to have that pulled, and then the bar can sometimes avoid liability to making sure all their people or seller-servers are certified. Well, I guess my question would be, so this guy – just backstory here. Uh, he he's drinking at a bar. He goes home and he starts. What's the what's the the whole thing there? I I don't know much about sure. the case other than what so, I've heard in the newspaper or on the radio. To be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I'm catching up on it too. So I, what I was trying to figure out is if someone goes and they're at a bar, decide to go out and kill somebody, but is drinking. Let's say the whole time he's let's say he's drinking and driving. He's got a bottle in the car. He's drinking on his way home. Kills a bunch of people. How can you hold a bartender liable when there's no? You're not doing a breathalyzer at the point that they're at the bar. You know what right. I mean? Now, if they're falling over, that's one thing. Yeah. But how do you how do you how do you know at one point was he intoxicated that you're holding a, accountable? You get what I'm saying? Right. So what we typically do is, and we have a new program that we've initiated called Trace. Um, I've forgotten what that acronym means, but it's alcohol-related um, incidents. So if 
take the example up here in Tascacita, uh, where the 17-year-old kid walked into a convenience store, bought four bottles of wine, uh, walked out, got it's, in a car. That's not allowed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's not allowed. And uh, then ended up killing his two passengers. He walked away from it. But so what we were able to do. By the way, I didn't know that he did that before I made that joke. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it <laughs> ruins the joke when you find out he killed people. So, so we were able to track it back, find out where he bought the alcohol. We looked at the videos. We inv- int- interviewed the clerk who made the cell, determined that he never looked, asked for an ID. He simply sold him the alcohol, which is a violation of the code. Sure. So um, that way, you know, we identify those businesses. We can, after several of them, we can take their permit, and then they won't be putting people out there on the street like that. So that that's our goal is not the individual bartender, but the business. Because if I get the business to stop selling alcohol to people that look like they're intoxicated, then we'll probably have a lot fewer DWIs out there sure. in that neighborhood. Sure, absolutely. I mean, that was part of the questions. I, I, I was talking to someone at lunch yesterday about the fact that um, the, the two o'clock cutoff versus where some states it's four. I think in Kentucky, bourbon country, I think it's like 4 a.m. And before you leave, you can actually buy a bottle from behind the bar and go home with it. So they've got those those package permit, whatever that license is, where you can literally buy a bottle from the bar and leave with it. Wow. So it's, uh, <laughs> it's a bit different here in Texas. Um, so most of those hour limits, though, are set by the cities. They're not by state of Texas. If you want an after-hours permit, we can issue you one, but the city has to authorize you being open. Are there any places in Texas that are open past two that serve alcohol? I always thought it was a state thing. You know, I don't know the answer to that question. But you can do it. I think you can. If, if we, you get a, an after-hours permit uh, for... And the city would have to just okay it, and they could be open till four. Right. Or is that what it is for, or is there a different Yeah, cutoff? I don't know what the, the time cutoff is. All sure. I know is that... It, they can set a time, and then if the city approves after hours times, like a a hotel bar, sure, yeah, bit they, different, yeah, yeah, they can pay for that. We give them a permit to be open after hours, and then they can go forward. Are there any any places that are restricted to that? Meaning, you're if you're like oh, we'll just say like a strip club, you're not you're not allowed to have an after hours permit. So all that has to do with local city ordinances, not sure. a state regulation. As long as it's approved, right? Okay. Um, let me see here. Hope I didn't get that wrong. No, no. Well, yeah, <laughs> me too. But if, but if someone has a question, I'd just Luckily, say Kevin's contact our office <laughs> and they'll get the right answer. <laughs> Kevin's not here for you. Um, so, yeah, you, let's talk about the – you wrote a guest column uh, last year, beginning of last year, about clarifying regulations on private clubs. Okay. Do you, you, do you recall it? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> So we can. Uh, I wanted to just kind of talk. Uh, you mentioned in here, overseeing a forty billion dollar industry. Right. It's important part of our mission. Issue. Important part of our mission is issuing the licenses and permits uh, that includes private clubs. Um, let me see here. Yeah, I can't ask you that question if you don't remember right now. No, I remember. I remember it now. <laughs> oh, you do. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So, um, really, I just was trying to get you know more insight on the whole private club thing because that's a big people try to use that for workarounds quite a bit. Is is trying to make it, you know, and I know that that's the, which I think is why they were arguing to remove it to begin with was because they were saying we should do away with private clubs, and you were saying you know absolutely not, and there's reasons why. Right. So. Private clubs became, you know, Texas used to be uh, a dry state. Sure. You could not have liquor by the drink uh, until after 1972. And then the counties and local municipalities could have an election, and they started uh, voting for that. So now we still have five completely dry counties, but we have about 352 counties that we call damp. So you have areas that you can have um, spirits, beer, wine only, Wine only package stores. So any number of those degrees, but all that is voted for by the citizens. So a private club allows you to have an area where you can have that, but you have very specific regulations associated with that. Uh, again, that's a statutory um, authorization. That's not something we came up with, sure. nor is something I can do away with. If they want to do away with that, they have to go to their legislators and get it voted out of the alcohol beverage code. 
Sure. And that you're just enforcing it. Yeah. The, the, uh, the, the hoops that we had to jump through just buying a, a beer in the Heights or something, uh, you had to become a member of their club and all it was, was just your name and your phone number and, and never saw it again. So, right. it, you know, it's not like <laughs> it ever came up. Uh, but, uh, yeah. So it's just, it's just interesting, the whole idea. Um, so we've talked about w- what you plan on streamlining, what you plan on growing. Where can people apply for jobs? I didn't even know that TBC was hiring. I know some people. I'll tell, I'll tell on them right now. <laughs> well, if we get the appropriations, we will be adding more people. Um, our HR office is there in uh, Austin, Texas. And you can go to our website, and it will show you the jobs that are open. So, And you were mentioning uh, that you guys actually have a – kind of a discussion, kind of like almost like a TED Talk thing that you guys do. Yes. So that was one of the ideals we came up with at, at Industry's recommendation was to have a kind of an outreach program where we do about 30 minutes of a presentation about a particular issue. You can actually go on and sign up for it and participate and give us questions while we're going through or we record it. So then each month it's available for people to watch. And if you want it on a particular issue, you can – Email us, and we'll try to build a presentation around that so we can answer people's questions. I, I think I saw one not too long ago in regards to special events. It was a, a gentleman, uh, kind of reminded me of uh, Daryl Shorter that, from that alcohol yeah. abuse study, or alcohol use study. <laughs> we, we had a couple of doctors from the Baylor College of Medicine to discuss alcohol use disorder. Sure. Um, being a fan of the hobby, you also have to be careful right. not to not to have any <laughs> life problems. So, uh, but yeah, so I saw, I think I saw, it was like a 30 minute video about uh, someone discussing how these events can be done and how they cannot be done. Do you guys, besides sex trafficking, any other major focuses like special events? Because these are popping up a lot more too. I myself host a, a whiskey festival. So, <clears throat> not going to tell you the name of it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so one of the things we did uh, of the world. recently was put in place a, uh, a a use rule. So, like caterers, if you know that you're going to be doing a certain amount of caterings, you just pay us one fee, and then you keep track of the number of ones you do. You do, unless for some reason they're going to be a very public event, and then we want to make sure that. Everything's right, done right. Right, right. So because it, public safety becomes an issue for us. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. I, I this is something that I struggle with uh, with you guys in particular. You know, Kentucky just passed a law allowing vintage spirits. Right. The only way you can do um, taste something vintage, something from prohibition or earlier here in the U.S. in Texas, is if it goes through. The three tiers, it's, it's, but no, no one's doing that, right? So right. it's it's effectively impossible because of the regulations and enforcement here that we can't try these little pieces of history, these little time capsules from prohibition, or uh, you know, I we did an event a couple years ago um, at a non-licensed venue and had in um, some spirits from World War II, and then you could actually taste whiskey from World War II. It was bottled back then um, with Winston Churchill's great grandson, who just happened to live in Houston at the time, so it was kind wow. of like a really neat experience. But couldn't it can't happen at a bar or restaurant, right? License sure. premises become an issue. If you give the alcohol away, there is we don't necessarily have jurisdiction. But if you're going to sell it or sell tickets to the event, then it becomes a licensed event. Typically. Sure. Well, d- depending, right? So right. there's there's a couple of options that kind of circumvent that as long as you are not. Uh, alcohol is not a condition of the ticket sale. Right. Right. Because then you're technically selling alcohol. Right. So the challenge becomes, and and I we do run into this with charity events. So you're going to have free alcohol, but you got to buy a ticket to get into the event. Sure. But if you have free alcohol and someone shows up, you have to give them free alcohol. Yep. Yeah. You know, so, Option one. I'm yeah. very familiar. <laughs> very familiar. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, it, it, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I, I just would like to see progress. Right. Right. And I know, you being the the arm of the law, but not but you are you know you do have the the ear. Uh, this state is incredible, right? For so second many reasons. largest market in the U.S. for alcohol beverage sales. Second largest market second next largest to what? Market. California. California. Yeah. Well, who wants to be behind California? Well, no one. <laughs> not a, <laughs> I almost made a, a incredibly insensitive joke about fire, um, but the, the we want progress. And uh, I understand – I had a meeting today at a distributor's office, uh, and these guys were the heads of each division 
uh, of their distributor. And I asked, we were talking about social media and the effect it has on, on business. And, and all of them had re- replied with it. They didn't even have a social media account. And I, I, for, I feel like our growth has outgrown our development, right? So sure. we, the explosion of alcohol sales and the explosion of this industry, even since the 1970s has been so monumental and impactful. He said a $40 billion industry. And there's still some things that are incredibly archaic and, and out of, out of, uh, uh, hindering, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're just, they're just completely, uh, nonsensical would be a, a more effective word. Like, look, I get it. If you don't want to be open on Sunday, that's fine. But like vintage bottle sales, right? I, if I go to Seattle, one of the best whiskeys, I would, uh, I'm going to ramble a little bit, but, uh, one of the best whiskey bars in the U.S. is in, is Canon. Right, it's in Seattle. You can go there. You can try whiskey, rye whiskey from the 1800s. From the 1800s. Wow. You come to Texas. We've got Blantons, right? And there's nothing wrong with Blantons, but <laughs> but just you can't get these. You can't do any of these like crazy old vintage historical bottles, right? I would love to try something, a uh, bottle of wine from from you know uh, the 1800s from you know or cognac from the Prefloxa area, right? So the 1865, whatever. You can't do that with 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 that here and we we could make it happen we just you know progress right so that starts with uh people massively influential people like yourself chirping in the ears of of the the regulators and of course we have to too we have to make our voices heard through well talking to your legislators i mean most of those things come through carve outs i mean the code was written in 1936 and about every two years we change a portion of it sure but it clearly i mean there's no way you can keep up and so we try to make smart business decisions, work with industry, so help them get to yes. Uh, but sometimes we can't. And uh, that's because the law doesn't allow us to. Sure. Not yet. We're working yeah. on it. <laughs> yeah. So thank you so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Sure. Enjoy um, it. I, I, I look forward to, to giving you a hard time next time you're in town. Okay. Maybe over drinks. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> good. Thank you. <laughs>